0: I'm looking at a very compelling photograph of a bloke with startling green eyes and an intense stare that speaks of both the horrors he has seen and his determination to overcome them. It's the famous face of Beiruz Bouchanning. He's a formidable poet, writes fine prose, is a daring journalist, a documentary filmmaker, and a teacher and promoter of his people's tongue, the Kurdish language, and it's that dangerous activity which saw his colleagues in Iran rounded up and arrested, some imprisoned by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. He escaped to seek asylum on our shores, and for that, we imprisoned him, and we tortured him on Manus for seven years. And tragically, his story is but one of many. He was told by former immigration minister, now opposition leader Dutton, that he would never set foot on Australian soil. In a statement that, that belied the words of our national anthem, for those who've crossed the seas were boundless planes to share. But Beirouz just completed his first tour of Our Boundless Plains, promoting his new book, Freedom, Only Freedom, The Prison Writings of Beiruz Bushani, published by Bloomsbury. And he joins me now from Wellington, New Zealand, for his third appearance on our little wireless program. Beiruz, welcome back. How did it feel to finally arrive in the land that had refused to admit you?
1: Uh, thank you very much for having me. Actually, when I came to, I went to Australia in the airport. I was quite nervous that how people will react and how about my feeling on Australian soil. But uh, the first event that I had. I felt relieved. I felt uh, relaxed in Australia. So then I started my journey in Australia across the country. And I visited uh, many cities, most of the cities in Australia, and met with many people, many communities, and people who engage with my work. So that was a great feeling. Always I say that I had this chance to work with the good side of Australia. So that was a great feeling. But of course, uh, you know, anger always is there. And I think we should politically stay angry because we need that anger to work, to continue to work, to expose this system. That is my
0: feeling. Now, the book, of course, is uh, contains your writings from Manus, a place you were sent when the Rudd government decided no asylum seeker would ever be settled in Australia. That was in July 19th, 2013. And in your book, you describe how even hearing the number 19 caused a feeling of horror for you and your fellow inmates.
1: Yeah, you know, in uh, most of my works, in the articles, in the book, in the uh, movie that I made with uh, my colleague, uh, Arash Kamali Sarastani, who is in Netherlands, and some other works, always I try to, you know, expose the soul of the system. So it's very difficult to explain, to describe, but I just wanted that people feel and imagine how life is inside the prison camp. It's a very brutal system. People struggle with the brutality of that system. People live through a systematic torture. And of course, many people have been damaged uh, mentally and physically. So, uh, in but in my book, I think what in my works, what is really important for me is that people imagine the soul of the system.
0: And on the island, you were known as Meg 45.
1: Yeah, you know, that, that is the heart of the system, you know. Recently, in QA program on ABC, I mentioned that to the liberal uh, senator, that he mentioned my name, and I say that. Actually, you refuse to mention my name. Not only me, many refugees. And my name was MG forty five, and other refugees uh, with different numbers. I think that you know shows the mentality of the system and how uh, the heart of this system how is very dehumanizing. It was
0: uh, it was on ABC's Q and A that uh, you were finally spoken of by name by a a coalition MP in Dan T. And it was a very significant moment, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, I think it was great because, you know, for many years I watched the Australian media and I felt that actually we don't have a platform, the platform that we talk and we share stories. And I think that stage was important that I sit down with the... two senators and some others, and criticized both political parties that how they created this tragedy. And that visibility, I think, is important because we, for many years, We've been, you know, all top side and mind, you know, and that was very important, that visibility.
0: Beirut, you're absolutely unstoppable. In Canberra, you've called for a royal commission into our treatment of asylum seekers. I wholeheartedly endorse that, but how does it feel to think that that could happen?
1: I think that was another <laughs> important moment for me because for many years, I was looking at uh, Australian Parliament and always the decisions against us, against refugees. And uh, that place, that particular place, uh, made us disappointed. And so that was really important that I appeared there and I had this opportunity to talk to the media and also to politicians. I raised the issue of people who remain in Port Mosbyan and Nauru, 140 people. I raised the issue of uh, the, the legislation that recently Green Party put on the table to transfer those people to Australia. But I called for Royal Commission. Because I think people of Australia and refugees as well, you know, we should know who is behind this. What is the role of security companies in this uh, industry? Uh, About the people who have been killed, we should should, uh, have an independent investigation towards those deaths. Uh, and also, I think it's uh, people of Australia should know, you know, that it is their right, and it is our right that people know what's really had happened in the Manusana and Nauru, and also in detention in Australia. Peter Dutton say that I never come to Australia, but I was there, and I was in the parliament. So personally, it was important for me as well.
0: It's an also important that Australians understand the vast cost of this detention system. It uh, nudges ten billion, but the Refugee Council says the figure is likely to be an understatement. So the human cost and the financial cost.
1: Exactly. You know, it's. Uh, uh, I think I should refer to the article, the report uh, by Guardian Australia that more than $14 million they spent on this uh, policy, which is a huge amount of money. They made a contract with, uh, with an American company which uh, is accused of violating human rights with uh, $420 million for a contract in Nauru And we know that only 70 people remain in Nauru. And that is a big question how they want to spend that money, you know, to 70 people, but the contract is $420 million. And already we heard about security company uh, Paladin and, uh, you know, that scandal and some other companies. So it's really. Always, it's a big question: why Australia is wasting this money, and we know who is the winner of these contracts: security companies.
0: I'm talking to Bedros bouchani who's the the public face, the most famous face of our mistreatment of refugees. Now, two days before you left Australia, Minister Andrew Giles announced that around 19,000 people on uh, temporary protection visas would be allowed to apply for permanent visas. Now, okay, it's a victory, but it only applies to people who arrived before that dreaded date of July 19, 2013. The rest still in limbo.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, of course, that was an achievement. It was a big uh, step forward, but we should remember that 12,000 people are in Australia now and they are not a part of this program. So, what about those 12,000 people? What about uh, 140 people who remain in Port Mosby and without future? And also, uh, another question that remain is that we need a time frame when are they going to give them permanent visa because people have been in Australia undecided for more than a decade so I mean there are many many questions around this policy this system damaged people still people are suffering I call it uh, invisible violence that people who are in the the, the community they are carrying a, kind of violence that is very invisible. Well, well, you, you stated
0: it very clearly, and I quote, I have seen many cases of self-harm and suicide attempt inflicting torture by the use of time is the best and complete explanation of the situation.
1: Exactly, you know, that is a, a key concept for this system and this uh, detention industry that they never, ever tell uh, the detainees or refugees who are in the community when they are going to process them, when they are going to give them visa, when they are going to release them. And for many of them, even they don't know where they will go. And keeping people in in indefinite detention, they feel Deep torture, and it's hard. I should say that it's hard to explain how it's feeling. You know how what people are enduring.
0: The great writer Arthur Kerstler made exactly the same point on his terms of imprisonment in Darkness at Noon. One step forward, one step back. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill said on the same day as the announcement about the new visa arrangements, that the government remained committed to Operation Sovereign Borders, and anyone who arrived by boat would continue to be turned back.
1: You know, I think that that is a message to the opposition, rather than a message to, uh, you know, smugglers or refugees. That is just a message to the opposition. And, you know, always labor has been in a defensive position. But we should remember this, that 14,000 refugees are in Indonesia, and Australia stopped to accept refugees from Indonesia as well. You know, and they have been there for more than a decade. So there is a question, what is the reason behind this? Why? Australia takes refugees from other places around the world, but not from Indonesia. And also I should criticize the Australian media that we haven't really read or see a good report from Australian media about refugees in Indonesia. Media should go there and talk with refugees and ask them, that how this policy by Australia affect on their lives? What is the reason they stop coming to Australia? Does uh, keeping people in Manus and Nauru affect on them? I think we should know. We should hear this story from refugees themselves.
0: Let's hope that you can give evidence at this uh, proposed Royal Commission. Are you still in touch with uh, the refugees who made it to New Zealand, to Cambodia and other places?
1: Yeah, I uh, stay in touch with some people in Australia. I met many people when I was in Australia. I visited, uh, you know, many cities. And in some events, I share the stage with them just to come on the stage and talk. And some refugees in, who are in America, Canada, some in, are in Europe, and uh, of course, some in Port Mosby as well. So, but it's very difficult really to stay in touch with people because people are really suffering. But of course, those who are in America and those countries, many of them, they are doing well. They've uh, established a life. But in Australia, I think the situation is really difficult for refugees who are in the community. Refugees who were transferred under Medivac law to Australia. Because uh, they told them that you don't have a future in Australia and they already established life. But in Port Bosby and Nauru, I think the situation is worse. It's really difficult. People have been there for 10 years, and that is unbelievable that that still continues, that still people are living in limbo. So, but what is important really that this government listen, they don't listen. They should listen and release these people.
0: You certainly do your very best Beirut. And uh, having talked about your past and the continuing problems of refugees in the present, I'd like you to tell me about the hope expressed by your new project, Women of Troy. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, you know, this project that comes after the book, uh, Freedom Only Freedom, the book, Freedom Only Freedom, was uh, translated and edited by uh, Omito Fikhan and Munes Mansubi. So they have been really working with me for many years. And I should uh, use this opportunity to acknowledge their work. What they have done is, uh, uh, I think, it's really important. That we see them and their works. But uh, The Woman of Troy is a play that uh, I just participated in that uh, play by writing poems, like 10 poems. And uh, the composer bring this uh, poetry into music. Uh, but I haven't seen the work yet. I think. We will have the first performance. I don't know, probably in Adelaide. I'm not sure about it. Yes, soon. But uh, Woman of Troy is re- referred to the ancient Greek story, Troy. But they look at refugees and refugees' uh, journey uh, as an epic. So that is a interesting work you know it's very interesting work that we look at refugees in this historical way and we give uh, like an ancient Cover, you know, that, that's we really all, we all know
0: that the myth of Helen that she launched a thousand ships. Your more recent experience is about turning boats back. I've been talking to Beiruz Bouchani, journalist extraordinaire, refugee advocate, and adjunct associate professor in the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of New South Wales. His latest book, Freedom. Only Freedom, The Prison Writings of Behrouz Bouchani published by Bloomsbury, 2022. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.